Well, good morning. Howdy. There it is. Well, my name is Jacob Smith. I'm on staff here at Grace. Uh, I'm our college teaching director. So normally on Sundays, 9, 15, 11, I'm actually across the street in our college auditorium. But uh, we've got our, our mission Sundays have already started. So I had an opportunity to come over here with you guys. And I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful to be here with you. I'm excited to bring you in to a series that we actually just wrapped up over in College Side, where we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we were looking in Matthew at how Jesus Christ had gathered people. He had gathered his followers and he delivered to them a sermon. He delivered teaching that was at first glance seemed to be almost entirely just based on a new moral law, a new moral code. And yet what we find as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, what we find as we read through the rest of Christ's ministry is that those principles and the behaviors that he outlines, it's not just meant to change people, the way people live for the sake of having a new behavioral pattern. He wants to change the behavior of his people so that their lives would disrupt the beliefs of the world around them. Jesus Christ was telling his followers, he's telling us today that he wants to change our lives. He wants to change the way that we live so that he can use us to change the lives of people around us. And so this morning at the end of Matthew 6, we'll see that Jesus Christ is looking at his people and he's calling them to live a lot like this. Worry about yourself. Worry about yourself. Can I help? No. I'll help. I don't. You can help when we're out to eat, okay? You can help when we're out to eat. You want me to help, Rose? No. Thank you. No, thank you. What do you want me to do? What about yourself? <laughs> what about yourself? <laughs> I'll do this one, so I'm going to do that. You drive! <laughs> what about yourself? Go drive! Mm. The joys of fatherhood. Uh, This is a beautiful, beautiful demonstration of wisdom pouring forth from the younger generation. Uh, This is a sweet yet salty uh, daughter trying to tell her father really a, a good principle in life, which is worry about yourself. Like you need to worry about the things that are in front of you. She's saying, I don't need you to worry about these other things. You've got your own issues. You've got your own purpose that you need to be focusing upon. You've got responsibilities. You've got a steering wheel right in front of you. That's where you need to direct your attention. And Jesus Christ at the end of Matthew 6 is telling his followers essentially the exact same thing. He's going to look at his people. He's going to look at us and he's going to say, you need to stop worrying about tomorrow's problems and tomorrow's potential issues. And instead you need to focus on today's purpose. You need to stop focusing on those things and and being fearful because today has its own responsibilities. Today has its own problems. Today has a specific purpose that God has given you. And yet the reality is that we as a people, man, we still worry, right? We're just, we, we naturally worry. Some of us right now, we're worried about everything, right? Just all things are giving us worry. And maybe we had kind of forgotten about it, but I just said that and you're like, oh my gosh, you're right. And so you're back into worrying about just everything. Some of us in this moment, maybe aren't worried about a thing. We're like, ah, you know, a couple weeks from now is Thanksgiving, turkey. I'm already, I've already gathered all of the cranberries I need. Like you're, you're all set. You're feeling pretty good. But the reality is that all of us at some point 
with some issue, with some context, in some sort of situation, all of us will at some point worry. Man, at some point, all of us have a, a tendency to become anxious about something. Something. I don't know if you're aware, uh, but there was a presidential election uh, that happened in America just a few days ago. Uh, and because of that, I mean, in our current climate, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of worry uh, across the board. And, and in fact, Pew Research, they were looking at America over this past you know, year and a half of campaigning and, and they were recognizing, wow, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of frustration. And so they began to move towards uh, political party affiliates. They moved towards people that were kind of in the bipartisan system. And they started asking them questions about their viewpoint on just the world, the nation, the other side that they are, you know, running against. And what they found, Pew Research in America this past summer found that 49% of Republicans and 55% of Democrats, so just about half of both sides of the equation, both of them, when they think about the other party, they said that makes them feel afraid. Makes them feel afraid. When they look across the aisle, they see what those people are doing, they see what those people are saying, they see what those people stand for, and they feel afraid. Half our nation. Man, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> that is not ideal. That is unhealthy. And it's something that, you know, whether it's political or not, we fall into this exact problem. In fact, the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, they recently conducted a study found that about 18% of our nation's adults, so just about 40 million adults, 18 plus here in America, 18% are currently struggling with some type of anxiety disorder. Right? Almost one out of five of adults in America right now are struggling with an anxiety disorder, meaning it is a, it is a legitimate, it is a, it is a health concern. And now sometimes, right, sometimes the, that anxiety, sometimes the, the, the issue, the, the, the unhealthiness there, it's a chemical issue. It's a chemical imbalance. I have a couple of really good friends who've recently been diagnosed or going through kind of treatments and are receiving medication for chemical imbalance uh, to relate, that relates to anxiety in their lives. And that absolutely happens. And yet the reality is that also at the same time, many, many of us, I mean, we struggle with anxiety. We struggle with worries that's not necessarily chemical, but it's contextual. And in many times we find ourselves anxious and afraid and worrying and frustrated because of what's happening around us or, or, or in our midst. Right? And it, it changes, right, depending on where we're at and what we're doing, whether it's, you know, school or work or uh, relationships or politics uh, or, you know, Aggies, one point from victory. But, you know, we, oh, sorry, I know it's really soon. We have a tendency to become anxious about something and frustrated and angry and afraid. But my question for us this morning is if we believe and worship a God who is all-knowing and who's all-powerful, how anxious should we be? If that's who we're singing songs to, if that's who we're following, if that's who we're living our lives according to the commands that he's given us, how anxious should we be? And this morning we'll see that Jesus Christ looks at his followers and he says, you shouldn't. He says, you shouldn't be anxious. You shouldn't worry. 
He says you can leave tomorrow's problems alone because you can live for today's purpose. He's going to look at his people and he's going to tell them that they need to be looking at the care that God has demonstrated in our world, that they can trust in the control that God promised that he maintains over our situation. And he's going to call them to live out the commands that God has put in front of them, that he's revealed to them here and now. So he starts off in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus Christ is looking at these people who have gathered to hear him speak. And he says, look, I'm going to tell you, do not worry about your life. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, or about your body, what you will wear. He says, isn't there more to life than food? Isn't there more to the body than just clothing? He says, look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father, he feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? This is a traditional rabbinical practice to start from the small and work towards the greater. He says, look, if God is going to take care of these birds, right? These, these little, almost insignificant creatures, God makes sure that, you know, they've, got, they've gathered or they are taken care of, that they're fed, they have shelter. He says, how much more so does God care about you? How much more valuable are you than just a bird? As someone who walks out Lives that, that bear his image as people who are created in his image, in his likeness. He says, man, I, God is going to trust or God is going to care for you. God wants to provide for you. He's saying the Lord has proven his care in this world. Our God cares about the little guy. Right? We love and serve a God who consistently shows himself to be one who loves the little guy. Who loves to defend the defenseless. Who loves to move towards the unlovable. A God who cares about situations like this. A harrowing ordeal for this weak old puppy. The Cocker Spaniel was accidentally flushed down a toilet when the owner's four-year-old son tried to wash the animal. You put him in the toilet, didn't you? So what did you, why did you do that? Did you put him in the toilet because he was muddy? Yeah. Neighbors were asked not to flush their toilets while a plumber used camera equipment to locate the dog. Here you can see the puppy lying upside down in a pipe about 20 yards from the family's West London home. I've got the camera equipment out that we use for drain surveys and um, put the camera down the drain to find out whereabouts it was. Um, it was under next door's house in a, between the two runs of the manholes. The plumber was able to nudge the puppy towards the manhole cover Sunday and then pull it to safety. The puppy, which has been named Dino after the plumbing firm which rescued it, is now back with his family. And the little boy who accidentally flushed the family pet says he's sorry and promises not to do it again. Yeah, well, we'll see. But, man, that, that's a situation where our hearts just kind of break. Right? Like our, our hearts and our minds, we go towards that puppy. And what's interesting is that that is very contrary, that's very counter to Darwinian logic, right? If we were really all about the survival of the fittest, if we, if we thought that only the strong survive, well then if a puppy gets flushed, like, well, that's that puppy's issue and he's going to work himself out or we need to leave him behind. And yet we as a society, we as a culture, we move towards those situations and we feel for those situations. Why? Because we're made in the image of a God who loves the little guy. Because we're made in the image of a God who cares deeply about even the smallest, 
even the youngest, even the most defenseless amongst us. That's why James tells us that true devotion to the Lord, that pure and undefiled religion is this, that you would care for the widows and the orphans. James picks out the most defenseless. He picks out the lowest of the low in their culture. I mean, almost even still in our culture, but especially at that time, man, when you were looking at widows and orphans, those people were neglected. Those people were left behind. Those people were uncared for. And James says, if you truly love our God, if you want to be devoted to our Lord, you want to live out his heart in this world, you're going to go there. You're going to talk with those people and you're going to love those unlovable. You're going to defend the defenseless. You're going to be strong for the weak because that's what our God does. And that's who our God is. And that's what our God loves. Jesus Christ says we can trust that there is a God who loves us because he loves this world so much that he died for it. He loves this world so much that he even pays attention to those birds. He says, but you know what? Maybe, maybe that doesn't quite sink in. Right? Maybe we still kind of worry like, well, what if, what if God's not looking in this situation? What if God's not going to provide in this situation? What if God's plan is different from what I think is ideal? What if I still need to make some sort of contingency plan to secure for myself whatever I think I might need? And Jesus looks at those people in particular and says, well, look, here's the thing. Which of you by worrying can even add one hour to his life? Jesus Christ says, let's just assume you, you reject what I'm saying. So let's just say you, you decide to still worry. You still decide to be anxious. He says, what's that going to gain you? He says, what, what are you going to add to your life? You, can you even add an hour? He's saying, I mean, all of that worry, all of that fretting, all of that anxiety. He says, it's not even fruitful. He says, it'll gain you nothing to continue to worry and be afraid. Because ultimately, just as lavish as God's care is, just as amazing as the Lord's care is in our world, when we see that, we also need to look inward and we need to recognize that we are so limited that we're not actually in control of our own destinies. We're not even in control of our own lives, of where we're headed, of the situation in the world around us. I can worry all day long, but it's not going to change anything. I'm never truly, fully in control of my life or the lives of the people I love. My wife and I, we have a daughter named Charlotte. She's wonderful. She's going to be two years old in December. Uh, she's a big fan of uh, sunglasses and food. And that is her, and that's it. That's, that's all of her, that's all the love she has to give. Uh, and she... Uh, is enrolled in a program here at Grace called Kingdom Kids, where she's here a few hours, a couple days a week, hanging out with friends. She's in a little class. It's a good little, good little time. And every once in a while, I will catch a glimpse of her in that environment. Because as I'm working here throughout the week, I'll just like through a window or something, I'll see her in the wild, right? Like in her new habitat. And so I love to watch when those moments come. I love to kind of take a moment and just watch and see what happens. And a few weeks ago, I saw her out on the playground with all of her friends. They're kind of playing on the playground. Uh, and by playing, I mean Charlotte and her and one other kid were actually just like hanging onto the chain link fence, uh, looking out like POWs in a war camp or something, <laughs> finding sniper towers and checking the lines of sight. And they uh, were sort of hanging and chilling her and this kid and then all everyone else playing. So I thought, oh, this is interesting. So I tried to move to another window to get a better view. And as soon as I got over to this other window, I looked out and the scene had changed. That now instead of hanging on the fence, Charlotte is actually on the ground. 
and she seems kind of distressed. And the boy that was standing right next to her previously was now sort of slowly backing away, very guilty-like. And in that moment, right, I think to myself, well, I mean, glass can't be that hard to smash through. Like, I can probably get there, just straight, straight line, uh, and I can, I can solve this problem. I can talk to that two-year-old. And, and even in that moment, even in that moment, uh, her teacher came in. It was handled it perfectly. It was all great. But as her teacher is, you know, settling the issue and, and working through all that divisiveness, uh, I had a moment of clarity. I legitimately had a moment where I just kind of stopped and thought, wait a minute. There's going to be situations in my daughter's life, my daughter who I love, who I would do anything for. She's going to get hurt. It's going to be the fault of other people. Sometimes it's going to be her fault. It's going to be decisions that she makes that bring real suffering, real pain into her life. And I can't stop that. I legitimately had this moment just recognizing, oh my gosh, the world is out of my control. And the reality is that, man, a lot of us realize that with painful clarity that this world is out of our control. Some of us are hyper aware of that fact, of that reality. And I'll tell you, if you haven't walked through that, it's it's coming. Because an illness will appear or a job will go away or a relationship will dissolve. And you'll recognize that this world is out of your control. Jesus Christ says, I mean, you can spend all the time you want worrying and fretting and being anxious. He says, but ultimately you're limited in what you can do. You are limited in what you can accomplish. And so don't take that time. He says, don't waste that time worrying about your limits. He says, instead, take that time, take that energy, and direct it towards something greater, something better. He says, why are you worrying about clothing? He says, think about how the flowers of the field grow, and yet they don't work, they don't spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his glory was clothed like one of these. He says, you can see your own limitations. He says, but then counter to that, right? And contrary to that, you can see the Lord's lavish provision. You see how the Lord has paid attention to the details. He's created these flowers, these insignificant flowers to be so beautiful, to be so great, that not even the greatest king, the most lavish king of all of Israel's history could even ever even compare Jesus Christ says, mean, the Lord's provision is proven to be good. And yet, even as I say that, even as we read that, I know that some of us push back. I know that even as I say that, I've had moments where I push back. And I think, hold up. What about that time where I didn't really see the Lord's provision? What about that healing that God never actually provided? What about that financial help that the Lord never really brought in? What about that relationship turmoil that God never calmed? What about that natural disaster that God still allowed? What about my friends, my loved ones, the people that I can think of right now who are believers 
who love the Lord, who, who make the Lord known to the world around them. What about these people, these men and these women that I love, that I care about, that are currently dealing with, with tragic death, who are dealing with intense, just terminal diseases, people that I know that are dealing with financial burdens and crises, people that I know that, that are dealing with these struggles uh, that are coming about because of a past or an upcoming divorce. What about the friends and family and coworkers that we have that are currently not seemingly provided for? Where's the Lord's provision in the midst of all that? I'll tell you. From Scripture, from very limited life experience, it is so difficult It can be so difficult to see the Lord's provision in any given moment. And yet, many times, every time, it's because his plan is just bigger. It's just greater than what we imagine. And sometimes, with time, we see it. Sometimes we get a week in or a month in or a year in and we look back and we say, ah, oh, wow. Look at what the Lord did. Despite all that brokenness, in the midst of all that death, in the midst of that pain brought about by sin, I mean, look at what the Lord did. And yet sometimes we get down the road and we get further and we get further and we keep looking back and we still don't see it. But I'll tell you, Our God is incredible. Not because he promises that our lives now will be perfect. Our God is incredible because he promises that our life beyond this world will be incredible and will be perfect. And he brought that about through a plan for his own son that involves torture and rejection and death. God's plan, his perfect plan for his own son, Jesus Christ, involved him stepping out of heaven and onto earth to live the life that we could not live and then die the death that we deserved. And the Lord allowed that to happen because he knew that three days later, Jesus Christ would rise from the grave and prove once for all that God has power over sin, that God has power over death, and that God wants relationship with us, and that God is willing to die so that we might live, that God was willing to send his son as the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that anyone who calls on his name might be saved, so that anyone who puts their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord, as their Savior, as their God, anyone who trusts in him and calls to him and asks for the forgiveness found in his name can be adopted out of sin and out of death and out of this brokenness and out of anxiety and out of fear, and you're able to be adopted into the family of the Lord. You're a son or a daughter of the Lord Most High. You are now a child of God, and he says, I love you, and I'm going to care for you. And I'm going to provide for you. And I'm going to take you places and give you a purpose that you would never have otherwise. He says, so I need you to trust me. I need you to believe that I have this under control. Jesus Christ is looking at his people and he's saying, you need to trust the Lord's provision. Even when you don't see it in any given moment, he says, you need to trust that he has a plan. And in light of that provision, in light of that care, in light of all that, he says, I need you to trust God's control in your lives. He says in 
verse 30, if this is how God clothes the wild grass, which is here today and tomorrow is tossed into the fire to heat the oven, won't he clothe you even more? You people of little faith. He says, don't worry saying what will we eat. Don't worry saying what will we drink or what will we wear. He says you need to abandon these fears and these anxieties. You need to move past because ultimately they're going to erode your faith. He's saying you're a people of little, of, of smaller faith. He says because it's being eroded, that trust is being broken down by worry and anxiety. He says this fear, man, not only does it hurt your trust in the Lord. Not only does it hurt your faith in the Lord, not only is it a waste of time, but he says this is a poor witness to the world around you. He says the unconverted pursue these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. He says the world at large is going to naturally worry. So that's, that's default now. Thanks to sin, thanks to the brokenness brought about by sin, he says there's going to be worry in your midst. So be different. Because our world, man, even our kids, they just naturally worry. That's why our world has to create reminders like this. Miss Elena, your mommy will come back and get you. Dad always says, grown-ups come back. Really? Really, really. Dad always says, even when they go away, Welcome to my world. Uh, this, is, this is where I live now. Uh, um, everyone sings. Uh, no one trusts their parents, uh, regardless of species. And this is, uh, this is a real reminder that is needed. This is something that I've seen. I mean, as, as you know, father of an almost two-year-old, I've seen in the nursery at drop-offs at different events or whatever it is, babysitting. I mean, I've seen where parents time and time again will take their kids to the nursery, for example, and drop them off, and the kid just starts flipping out. Why? Because they don't think, they're afraid that their parent might never come back for them. And I don't know why that is, right? The parent, it's not like every other week you drop your kid off and you walk away and say, hey, I'll see you later. Maybe. Like you don't do that. That doesn't happen. Parents are telling their kids that they're just rolling the dice every week to see what happens. It's a tried and true thing. Parents have proven themselves to be faithful week in, week out. Hey, I'm going to come back for you. I promise. There will be legal repercussions if I don't. Like, I have to come back for you. And yet, there's something in us, even as children, there's something in us that knows that this world is broken. I would say there's something in us that is broken itself and it recognizes that you know what this world is going to fail me and you know what that's that's an accurate view at some point your community or your loved ones the people around you the job that you have the the body that you that you live in these things are going to fail you they're going to fail to come through when you need them most 
So our world, man, it naturally will fear and distrust. And that's why trusting the Lord is such a powerful witness. The peace that comes from the Lord, the peace that surpasses all the world's wisdom, all the world's knowledge, the peace that we can have in Jesus Christ, man, it it is a powerful witness. I can't tell you how many students I've talked to across the street who have gotten to witness, who have gotten to share the gospel with their family members, with their siblings or their parents, with people back home, with old friends, because of the peace that they've exhibited in their lives. I'd be willing to bet many of us right here, right now, can even think of times where we had an opportunity to talk about our faith or talk about our God because our peace and our calm is just so contrary to the world at large. Jesus Christ says, man, lean into that. Take advantage of that. See that peace, see that calm as an opportunity to witness for the Lord. Because as believers, I mean, we follow and praise a God who's all-knowing, a God who's all-powerful, a God who always has a plan, who always has a purpose, a God who's always at work, and a God who loves us so deeply that he'd send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. I hope you are almost calmed even just just hearing that over and over again. God loves you. And he has a plan. And he has a purpose. Jesus Christ says, I want you to hold on to that. I need you to grab a hold of that and not let go. And if you begin to falter, there's a way to fight against it. D.A. Carson, a famous theologian, a current theologian, he, he tells us that prayer and worrying are incompatible. They, just, they don't work together. He says that either worrying is going to drive out prayer or prayer is going to drive out worrying. So there's, there's no in-between. If you find yourself anxious, if you find yourself fearful, I mean, just a practical step to take, just a practice, just a discipline to, to, to incorporate into your life is praying to the Lord, going to the Lord about that, talking to God about that, taking time out to say, Lord, I, I don't trust you in these areas. Confessing to him, God, this is where it is. This is where it's hard for me to trust you. To confess, God, this is why, right? Dig deeper, find the root of it and say, God, this is why I don't trust you in that area. But then having the presence of mind, asking the Lord to guide you as you then confess, but Lord, this is why I know I can trust you. God, this is why I know that that distrust is misplaced. God, this is why I know that you'll be faithful. And whether you can think of a recent event in your life or a friend's life or whatever it might be, doesn't matter. You can always go back to the cross. You can always say, God, ultimately I know that I can trust you because you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for me. And you've proven beyond a doubt that you value me, that you cherish me, that you love me, that you want to care for me, that you want a relationship with me, and that God, that you have a plan and a purpose for my life. We say, God, take these fears, take these anxieties, because when we're willing to hand them over, when we're willing to move forward. We're free. We're free from that anxiety. We're free from that doubt. And we are free to now focus on the purpose that God has given today. This is what Jesus wraps up the passage saying. He says, above all these other things, you need to pursue God's kingdom, pursue God's righteousness. And all these other things, they'll be given to you as well. So then do not worry about tomorrow. 
For tomorrow will worry about itself, and today has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is calling his people once again, as he's wrapping it up, to forget tomorrow's problem, to focus on today's purpose. Now, he's not speaking against planning in general, right? He's not just saying, like, never make a plan. Some of us are beginning to think about lunch. Do not do that. Let the Spirit guide you to Blue Baker. Like, you're just, you'll get there. Don't worry. That's where the Spirit always goes, by the way. It says, don't, he's not saying don't make plans, right? We read throughout Scripture. We even look in other teachings from Christ himself, and we see we should be diligent. We should be discerning. We should be faithful with what God's given us. And that involves being wise and thinking ahead and making proper plans for our lives, for the lives of the people around us. But as we're doing that, I'd say the principle that we see in Scripture is that those plans should be held in an open hand. Those plans should be loose. Meaning that there shouldn't be an element of my plan that I'm holding on to so tightly that if it doesn't work out or if God takes it away, that suddenly my faith is rocked. That suddenly my, 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 my confidence in the Lord's care and the Lord's love is gone. That should never be the case. All of those elements, as I'm thinking about that house or that white picket fence, or I'm thinking about that job or that salary or that place I want to live, as I'm thinking about those elements, I need to make sure that I'm trusting the Lord with all of it. And I'm saying to him, God, I hope that this is aligning with your will and your purpose and your plans. God, I pray that I'm in line with that. But Lord, if there's something in here that's not, God, take it. Lord, change it. Lord, redirect me. God, put my efforts where they need to be. God, put me where I need to be. Lord, I want to make you my focus. I don't want to make you just fit into whatever other box, whatever plan I'm currently making. And that's hard. It's hard to start with the Lord as step one as we're thinking about what job we're taking or what uh, city we're going to move to or what we're going to do with our kids or where we're headed with this issue or that issue or whatever it might be. It's many times difficult to actually just stop at the beginning and say, God, what is your plan and purpose for this? God, what can you tell me? Many times I will just kind of start moving forward and say, well, God, how can you work in this, in this decision that I've made? When I need to take a few steps back and say, God, where are, you, where are you sending me? God, what do you have for me? In Deuteronomy 29, uh, Moses is kind of wrapping up the law. He's gone through a lot of behaviors and, and boundaries and commands and issues that the Israelites are dealing with. He says, at the very end of it, right, Deuteronomy 29, 29, he's looking back and he says, look, there's all this stuff that I've just revealed to you. There's all these rules and guidelines and all that stuff. He says, we need to recognize that there are still hidden things, right? Deuteronomy is not comprehensive. It does not cover every issue, every type of situation in this entire world has to offer. He says, there are going to be hidden things beyond what, I've, what the Lord has revealed through his law. And he says, well, what we need to recognize, Deuteronomy 29, 29, is that those hidden things, they belong to God. He says, we need to recognize and confess and affirm that God is in control of those unknowns. He's in control of that hidden stuff. He says, but the revealed things, he says, those belong to us and to our descendants says, these revealed things have been given to us for a reason, so that we might live them out. 
so that we might obey these commands, so that we might live out these principles, so that our behaviors would change, so that the world at large would see and, and realize that we follow the one true God. So, man, there's, there's hidden stuff. None of us know what tomorrow is bringing. Some of us think we have a better idea than others, but the reality is that none of us know. And we need to be okay with that. We need to say, God, it's hidden, but it's yours. And what I do know is that we have a revealed purpose for every single believer, for every single person sitting here right now who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Every single one of us, we have a purpose. It's to love God and it's to love people. It's to know God. It's to make God known. That's it. That's the great commandment. That's the great commission. Know God, make God known. That's our purpose. And I'll tell you, our world at large doesn't see that. A few years ago, USA Today did a study where they were talking to unchurched people, meaning these were people that had not been to any sort of religious service whatsoever for at least six months. Most of them had been their whole lives, but at least six months was the guideline. And as they were talking to these unchurched Americans, as they were asking them about, hey, what's your view of the church? What's your view of Christians? What was interesting was that 75% of them said that believing in Jesus was actually good. That believing in Jesus Christ and in his teachings was that would, would beneficial to people's lives. 75% of unchurched people said that here in America. But then that exact same percentage said that churches today are just full of hypocrites. And that same percentage said that the church today is more about just organized religion and going through the paces rather than loving God and loving people. Now, mistakes have been made in the church and out of the church. But regardless, this is where we live. This is where we're at. And the question is, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about it today? How are we going to live out the purpose that God has given us for right now? What has God put in front of you? A job or a relationship or an endeavor, a school degree? What has God put in front of you right now that you know you're called to excel in, that you know that you're owning, it's been revealed, and you need to move forward and use it as a witness to the world around you? You can be calm, you can be confident, you can be loving. Or maybe who has God put in front of you? What relationship is right there? That family member, that friend, that roommate, that coworker? Who is it? that you can think of right now that you need to have a conversation with, that you could text today to meet up with on Thursday, to have a lunch, to have them over for breakfast and say, look, I I would love to talk with you about God. Who is it that you could be moving towards in a loving manner, in a gracious manner, to tell them about the God that you know, the God that you love, the God that you follow, the God that you want them to join you in worshiping, that you're inviting them to come to your home group or your Bible study, you're inviting them to come with you to your church, your gathering, your people. I don't know 
what it is for you. I don't know who it is for you, but I know that the Lord has revealed responsibilities and purposes to us because he wants us to step forward. So let's ask the Lord to make that clear right now. God, we thank you that you have given us a purpose. That, God, you've chosen to involve us in your plans. God, it's a beautiful thing that you've given us an opportunity to, to work in your mission. God, we thank you that, that we're not just called to, to believe in you and then sit on the sideline, but that, Lord, you not only call us to faith, but, God, you call us to work. That you give us meaningful responsibilities in our vocations, God, in our relationships, Lord, in our families. If you would take a moment right now and just ask the Lord to draw a revealed thing to your mind. Ask the Lord to just bring to your mind, God, what is it that I need to move forward, that I need to maybe abandon frustration or or fear and anxiety and just move forward in confidence doing a good job with that thing or doing a good, good job in that, in that job? Or, or Lord, where is it that I should be moving forward with excellence? God, as a reflection of who you are and what you've done. Or maybe it's God, bring to my mind that person that I need to be talking with. God, that person I need to be moving towards. I don't know what it is, but ask the Lord, God, make that clear. God, reveal to me right now, where am I moving this week? God, what purpose can I be fulfilling this week to be your witness of love and restoration in this world? Ask him that right now. God, we thank you once again that you've surrounded us with a body of believers, got a community that's like-minded, Lord, that is united by one spirit, Lord, that is united in their pursuit of knowing you and making you known. So God, I ask that we would lean on each other. That God, we would use each other as, as encouragement, Lord, as accountability, as we seek to live out these lives that reflect how great you are. So I thank you for today and for what you've revealed. We pray these things in your will. Amen. All right. Well, we love you guys. We'll see you in a week.